Let me set the scene for you. It's the mid-80s, and Vicky Keener is 23 years old. She has two young kids and a husband at home. But lately, Vicky has been spending a lot of time at her friend's house. It took like two or three days, and she kept getting, getting really close to me, but then would back off. She knew what she was doing. She, she was aware. But me, I'm just like melting if she's within two inches of me. And then one day, you know, after about a year of this, she kind of pinned me against the counter, and it was the first kiss I ever had. The first kiss that counted, that is. It was the beginning of my end as far as being a, a straight woman. You're scared. You're nervous. You're not sure what to do. It's like you're the you're the nerd in the room and you can't and you can't function correctly. And then when she finally laid a kiss on me, it it was I knew at that moment as this is what I want. This is what makes me feel better. This is what makes me feel good. And what I've had before, that ain't nothing compared to what I just felt. And that was just in a kiss. Vicky had been suppressing her attraction to women for her whole life. And now the floodgates were open, so to speak. I mean, I could literally have an orgasm without taking my clothes off. That's how that's how much I felt when when she would touch me. And, it, and she didn't necessarily have to touch me there either. It was just, you know, kiss, a hold, you know, uh, an embrace, things like that. They, they would just make me explode because I, I'm assuming that this is all this stuff that's been built up in me over the years. It was an exciting time for her, but also kind of dark. I can't tell anyone. Um, and and I'm, I'm thinking that she's going to come and be with me and we're going to get rid of men and we're going to live this long, happy life together. And that, that wasn't a reality. And it, it, it messed me up a lot. We'll call Vicky's friend Mary. Vicky was still sort of seeing Mary in 1993 when she attended a conference in Richmond, Virginia. At this point, it was clear Mary was not going to leave her husband, and Vicky needed to blow off some steam, so she decided to check out Richmond's lesbian bar, Babes of Carytown. It was the first time I saw gay people. You know, at 28 years old, I was brought up in this Southern Baptist, you know, uh, home and and mentality and I was married to this little country boy up in Bedford, Virginia. And uh, and I lived in the woods. <laughs> and perhaps even more than that first kiss, this was life-changing. You have to understand, I was from a day where, you know, my mother, we didn't discuss these things. Gays didn't exist because nothing had ever been said about them. So walking into that Seeing other women being really close to other women and understanding suddenly, just the second I walked in the door, that there are people of the same sex who love each other, who are attracted to each other. And it was the first time I ever realized that's actually a thing. It, it existed other than in my mind. I thought something was wrong with me. You know, I wasn't sure what to do, who to talk to, what to say. I was alone. But just walking in that door and seeing that I wasn't, I wasn't a freak. Other people like me existed. On that first visit to Babes, Vicky met Karen. <laughs> she was pretty forward. Uh, she came up to me, talked to me several times, was extremely nice, um, filled me in on, 
on a lot of things that I had no clue about. You, it's it's almost like talking to a kindergartner about about physics because that's how little I knew. Um, but she she bought me a couple drinks. Uh, we sat and talked. We had a lot in common. Um, she was really nice to me, and nothing happened that night. Eventually, Karen and Vicky would start dating and maintain a loving seven-year relationship. But for now, Vicky was just relieved to know she wasn't the only lesbian in the world. And that's how stupid, that's how naive I was. Because believe it or not, you know, it's, it's like I have to be the only person in the entire world who feels this way toward a person of the same sex. Because to me, it didn't exist. It did not exist. Today, Vicky can look back on her life in two eras, pre and post Babes of Carytown. This was what made me decide to, to, to leave my husband, um, talk to my kids. I got two boys, let my mom know. You know, it was really eye-opening. I, I can't even describe what it felt like walking into a place and seeing that I, I was okay. Because so many years I thought I wasn't. I thought something was really wrong with me. This is Cruising, a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and I'm traveling to each one of them with my two friends and chosen family. Stop number 20, Babes of Carytown. I'm going to be honest with you for a second. Babes has been one of the most challenging bars for us to cover. We spent weeks reaching out on social media, calling the bar, and playing phone tag with various bartenders to see if we could schedule some interviews ahead of time. Babes of Carytown. This was getting us nowhere, so eventually we decided to just show up. Babe sits on West Cary Street in downtown Richmond. It has large, dark windows and a bright yellow awning with the word Babes printed in bold cursive letters. Similar to hers, the lesbian bar in Mobile, Alabama, Babes doesn't really look like a gay bar from the outside. Every once in a while, because we have, you know, the dancing ladies, and it's dark windows, it's called Babes. Not gonna lie, we have the occasional person that walks in thinking it's a strip club and they quickly turn around realizing it's not. This is X, a Babes bartender. Full name? Christina Hamilton, spelled with an X. Um, she, they, them, it, dude, whatever. I'm fine with all pronouns. The space is separated into two rooms. In the first room, there's a row of booths across from the main bar. And in the second room, there's an expansive dance floor, a few pool tables, and another bar that opens on busier nights. Off of the dance floor is the back patio and an entire beach volleyball court. The volleyball court is just dope. Like, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, we have people that come and play, like, really serious games. And then we have people that come and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, we have cornhole and all that kind of stuff out there. But when we arrived, the bar was mostly empty. We got there early around the time they opened for the evening, and X wasn't actually there yet. 
we introduced ourselves to the one bartender that was on and recognized his voice from the many times we had called the bar. Hi, we're um, from Cruising Podcast. He didn't want to be interviewed for the podcast and insisted that no one else, staff or customers, would have any stories to tell. These days, he said, the community was made up entirely of new hires and new customers. To say the least, we were slightly discouraged. But things really started to pick up the next day, the afternoon before we were set to leave town. I said we could slide over for Okay. Here? Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. There, we thought there would be a few more people here today, so. We thought there would be too. Yeah. We met Kristen at a booth in the front room, who's been coming to Babes for about nine years, since she was 22. And I kind of was just like, well, I want to be around everybody. I don't want to just hear one type of music. I want to hear all the different types of music. So that's what brought me to Babes. It's a really happy place. But Kristen's always had trouble convincing her friends to come to Babes with her. It's, it's such, like, different worlds. Like, the lesbian world has their world. And then it's kind of like the black lesbian world has their own world, too. As Kristen explained to us... There are other spaces in the area that are more geared towards the black queer community. I guess I wasn't your typical black lesbian because I'm pretty diverse. I don't mind whether it's country music, hip-hop, I really don't even care. So I kind of was the friend that came to Babes when all of my other friends kind of wanted to go to Godfrey's and Colors. Those were the African-American clubs for lesbians and gays. There are a good amount of African-Americans that don't mind listening to country music and stuff like that. But there's a greater amount that do not like to listen to it. So when I brought my mom here, she was like, yeah, I know who you are. You're my diverse children. I understand. So I brought her here and she's like, okay, I know you're safe. (laughs) This is great. This is my cup of tea, but I'm glad you like it here. When Kristen mentions her mom here, she's referring to her house mom from the ballroom community. Kristen first discovered the Richmond ballroom scene as a teenager. Most people who got into houses were looking or either found a family that they didn't already have. Um, My mom didn't support very much, so I kind of had to find a family outside of my family. This time, she means her biological mom, who wasn't supportive of her queerness. So I just kind of lived two separate lives. Um, I was the good church girl on Sundays and at home. And when I went to school, it was like, almost like going to the club, (laughs) because I was with my people. Towards the end of high school, Kristen took to the internet to find people like her. So it was like through MySpace and Bebo, and you kind of just like typed in things you were interested in, and that's how I met my parents, through social media. And then we met, like, physically, and then it just kind of blossomed, and I'm still really close with them to today. Again, when Kristen says her parents here, she's talking about her house parents from the ballroom scene. Ball culture, sometimes called drag ball culture or house culture, is a black and Latinx LGBTQ plus subculture. Gay people, men gather together under one roof and decide to have a competition amongst themselves. Balls. You might know it from the film Paris is Burning. It's like crossing into the looking glass in Wonderland. You go in there and you feel, you feel 100% right as a bit being gay. And that's, and that's not it. what it's like in the world. It's not what it's like in the world. It's not what it's like in the world. You know, 
It should be like that in the world. The society, they foot, go into a football game, basketball, that's their entertainment. Yeah. You know, a ball is ours. We prepare for a ball. We, we may spend more time preparing for a ball than anybody would spend preparing for anything else. Exactly. You know, a ball so is true. like our world, it's you know. Balls ball to us is as close to reality as we're going to get to all of that fame and fortune and stardom and spotlight. Or the hit TV series Pose. And the house of abundance. Drag balls originated in New York City and date back to as early as 1869. They're basically pageants created by queer people of color to counteract the racism found in more white queer spaces. At a ball, participants walk the runway to compete in different categories, like voguing, face, body, best dressed. Royalty. The category is Bring it like royalty. Yeah, you own everything. And today, there are ball communities all around the world. These communities are usually made up of houses, like the House of Amor, which Kristen was part of. They weren't physical houses. It was just like your group of community of people that you got along with, and that was kind of like the name of your group of family members. Um, the houses would call meetings. And we all would have to come from our respected homes to go to the home of where the meeting was going to be. So like a very official chosen family. And each of these families is led by house parents or elder members of the community. Kristen first ran away from her biological mom's house when she was about 17. But thanks to the ballroom community, she always had somewhere to go. My house mom would let me actually move into her residence if she had her own apartment in place. Kristen lived with her house mom, Jessica, on and off for about seven years. And Jessica and I literally were only a year apart. But she took me on as her daughter. She just taught me a better way of living and how to live in my truth without disrespecting my mom. Jessica, her house mom, actually helped Kristen heal her relationship with her biological mom. Um, That's what she taught me. She said, you know, it's okay for your mom to feel how she feels. And she doesn't have to accept you, but she has to love you. Because at the end of the day, that's who she is. And she may not always like it, and you're not always going to like how she feels, but you need to live in your truth. The House of Amor has since dissipated, and Kristen has her own place now. But she and Jessica are still family. If I needed somewhere, like if I lost my apartment today and I called her and said, look, I need somewhere to live, she would make space. Um, And she treats me no different than the children she has now. When we met Kristen at Babes, she was actually there hanging out with an old family member, Sarah. I, I was her house aunt. I am an auntie to her. Babes definitely isn't Sarah's go to spot, but because of Kristen, she's given it a chance. I did. I felt weird at first. I was like, hmm, what type of club is this? I don't know. Yeah, oh, country music. Uh, I don't know if I can get with this. I don't know. Yeah, I was doing them types. I did. But I got over it. I was like, oh, but hold on. I can jig to this country music. I can actually get down to it. Like, yeah, it's starting to make me dance now. Okay, I could deal with it. 
The bartender serving Kristen and Sarah that day was X. Hello. How are you guys? What can I get for you? That was how we first met her. I DJ and bartend here, and I think I was hired in 2012. X's relationship with Babes began long before her first shift in 2012. It was in, like, the 90s and the early aughts. I think one of the defining things that I remember, like, the first time I came in, I was like, there are photographs of Melissa Etheridge all the way around the top of this, like, the bar marquee, right? And it was, like... You know, line dancing, stuff like that. Like, and it was like, it was very heavily queer woman space. But the environment at Babes has changed a lot since the 90s. It used to be more heavily staffed with lesbians. It used to be more heavily populated as far as the clientele with lesbians. But don't get me wrong, people still call it, like, it's Babes, it's a lesbian bar. Because we do, it's, it's almost like having, like, like unwritten history, like nostalgia stuff from when it was more heavily populated with women. This is a concept we've grown to accept about lesbian bars in general. Oftentimes what makes something a lesbian bar is the history and foundation of the space. That trickles through into a modern day, more inclusive environment. There's so many more like beautiful fluid dynamics with relationships, you know, you can't tell what anybody likes or who they're with by the way anybody looks anymore, and I love it. <laughs> like. After so many years at Babes, X knows the owner, Vicky, incredibly well. This is Vicky Hester, not to be confused with Vicky Keener, who visited Babes at the beginning of the episode. The reason that this place feels like a family is Vicky, period. End of story. That's, she treats us like we're her kids in the best possible way. It's with respect as adults, but like, you know, it's, you mess up, you get told, you get a chance to correct yourself, you know? Like, that's how I think bosses should be. X told us as much as she could about Vicky. There's a lot of people that have been given opportunities in this city because of her. The food pantry at one of the churches around here is named after her because she donates every single week and has for like, decades. She's a fascinating human being. She was talking about like being back at the roller rink when she like worked at the roller rink and was the DJ at the roller rink. And in my head, I just have this vision of Vicky, just like the chill, like roll bounce, kind of smooth chick around the rink. And it was just, it geeked me out so much. Unfortunately, Vicky is one of the only bar owners we weren't able to interview. We met her at the bar on our first night, and in all fairness, she was incredibly gracious. She wouldn't do an interview, but encouraged us to talk to her staff and customers. But we still want to paint as clear of a picture of Vicky as we possibly can. Over the years, she's been covered in a few local newspapers, so we've pieced together what we learned about her. Now bear with me because we're working with very limited information here. Vicky first opened Babes in 1979 when she was in her mid-20s. According to a local Style Weekly article, she threw a fundraiser at the bar later that year to raise money for a local businessman after a snowboarding accident. A few months later, Babes would receive the kind of harassment typical of 1979 Virginia. 
one of the fundraising organizers received an anonymous letter from someone claiming to be a Richmond physician. The writer suggested those who attended the fundraiser were at risk of contracting herpes or HPV, since, they said, these are much more common among gays than in the general population. Less than a year into her bar ownership, Vicky's quoted in the article saying, At first it hurt my feelings. It's the first time for that kind of ignorance. Now let's jump to 2018. Vicky was in her 60s when she suffered a brain aneurysm. Her partner Ashley posted about it on Facebook, that she got through surgery and was stable. On this Facebook post, there are over 400 comments of people wishing Vicky well. Over and over again, people refer to her as strong and tough and a pillar of the community. Someone named Farron Addison says, I've always adored, loved, and admired you for your strength of giving, loving, and supporting our community. Many mention her support as they came out of the closet, and others describe her various forms of philanthropy. Ken Dennis says she's done so much more than the community knows. She's provided for the MCC food pantry for years. If not for her, we wouldn't have what we have in our food pantry. Chris Clark says she always said yes when I asked, often and for various causes, for her support. I go to Babes once a month with friends, Fish Friday, and look forward to seeing Vicky. Now a few years later, Vicky would be the one in need of financial support. According to an RVA Magazine article, Babes typically racks in at least $500,000 in annual revenue. But of course, due to the pandemic, the bar made just $80,000 in 2020, not even making their $90,000 yearly rent. Again, Vicky is quoted in this article. I had to beg, borrow, and steal to get that, she said. I spent my savings. We used to do whatever we wanted to, and now we have to watch every penny we spend. But by far the splashiest headline comes in June of 2021. The local CBS station published Richmond Bar Owner, quote, get your shot or go somewhere else, end quote. Upon reopening at full capacity, Babes introduced a relatively strict vaccine policy, at least for Richmond, Virginia. It's pretty simple. People must show proof of vaccination or they have to wear a mask and wristband inside the bar. Either get your shot or go somewhere else. Owner Vicki Hester didn't want to go on camera, but she tells me an overwhelming majority of her customers appreciate the rule. Everybody feels at home here and we don't want somebody coming in just because they're too lazy that we get a free shot. I would say about half of the people in the comments are pretty outraged at that last quote about being too lazy to get a free shot. And eventually, X explained to us that backlash was actually part of the reason Vicky didn't want to talk to us and why we were having so much trouble connecting with other community members. After our visit to Babes, X had promised to ask around and find others for us to interview, but months of phone tag went by, we shifted our focus to other episodes, and then X met Vicky Keener. Remember the woman from the beginning of the episode who decided to leave her husband? Well, she walked into Babes this past January for the first time since then. 30 years later, because it was literally 30, 31 years later. And a lot has happened in Vicky's life in the past 30 years. She'd met that woman, Karen, her first night at Babes. And after that, Karen began courting her every week. She would come to Roanoke, near Roanoke on the Blue Ridge Parkway, 
which is the way I traveled to go to work. And every week after that night at Babes, she would meet me or she I'd see her truck. It was a turquoise Ford Ranger on the Blue Ridge Parkway en route to work. And she would have me a rose, a, a Mountain Dew and a pack of Marlboros, which is my morning thing. And she would do that once a week. And that went on for, oh, several months. And uh, that kind of won me over. In 1993, when Vicki Keener's kids were 8 and 10, she left her husband. He was a country boy. He's, he's, he's the definition of redneck. Um, and if he had found out, matter of fact, when he did find out, it was, it was a little scary because there was a lot of threats made. But um, he literally threatened to kill me. Um, I had to fight him off at one point and kind of run. I stayed away for about three days, and that's what he used in court as abandonment for my kids. But it was it was it was literally I have to choose whether I want to go back there and, and risk dying, or can I stay away for a little while and then try to fight for my kids? I had to physically fight him off, uh, and that happened more than once. I would get a hotel and stay there for a few days. Vicky couldn't imagine the court would grant him custody over her. Um, he literally, he worked nights and he slept most of, of every day. And he'd done that for years. So everything we did together as a family, we did without him because he never, you know, he was asleep or he had to go to work. But she was wrong. Bedford County decided that the father who worked nights and was asleep during the day was a better parent than the mother who spent most of the time with them so and because because I was had been I had been with a woman um I got an apartment all by myself I had I literally had nothing but a blow-up mattress and a plate a fork a knife a spoon and a cup and that's what I left with and Bedford pretty much gave him everything it was a lost everything I owned and I've been married to him for 10 years and and you know everything you know, memories and, and pictures and, and things of my kids when they were young, he got them all. Fortunately, Vicki had Karen by her side through all of this. She supported me. There was a lot of, yeah, there were a lot of years I wouldn't have been able, I'd have been on the streets if it hadn't been for her. Karen invited Vicki to come live with her in Williamsburg, Virginia, which was four hours away from her boys in Roanoke. I would drive, it was it's 370 miles from where I live, and I would drive it every weekend. I'd leave on Saturday morning and come back Sunday night. And I did it for eight months. Eventually, they both moved back to Roanoke and basically took care of Vicky's kids on a full-time basis. She got a job and we bought a house and, and she was there. And they spent most of the time with me. I mean, he would go to work at night, so he'd drop them off at six. I, put, I fed them. I did their homework. We got them to bed. We gave them baths. We did all that stuff. And, and uh, we did that every night of the week and I had them on weekends but I still couldn't get custody. Karen had a great relationship with the boys. She treated my kids so good. She would spend so much time with them and they loved her. I mean, we, we, haven't, been, you know, we haven't been together for a long time, but I was with her for almost seven years. So Vicki and Karen broke up in 1999. Karen was always good to me. She was never anything but supportive, but she just worked too much. Her, her job was her life. And, and that was, that's something she can't overcome. It still is. After leaving Karen, Vicki went to live in her mom's trailer. Mom and I had a really, it was a strange relationship. I loved her dearly, 
but couldn't stand her control. As a teenager, Vicky didn't talk to anyone about her sexuality, let alone her mom, Judy. But she suspects Judy always knew. Because when I was growing up, you know, it's, it's posters of Janet Jackson and Lindsay Wagner, who was body woman, in case you didn't know that. Um, there was there was me being friends with I, I'd, I'd find a certain female friend. And that was that was the only person I wanted to be around all the time. Um, and, you know, couldn't figure out why. And mom would, you know, mom would, would fuss at me for it. Well, why are you spending all your money on this person? And, and why are you doing this? And why are you going with just that person? Can't you go out with more than one friend? Because she knew. When Vicky finally went to Babes and came out in her early 20s, her mom actually convinced her to check into a psychiatric center. So I spent a week in, in uh, Lewis Gale Psychiatric Center. That was horrible. It was it was actually really bad because, again, you have one person telling you it's OK, one person saying it's not. Then they want to put all they had me on lithium. And I don't know you know, for the people who have had to take that stuff. And I went from being on nothing to suddenly lithium. And, and it, I was a zombie. Vicky checked out of the facility relatively unscathed. But the crazy thing is, all this time. Her mom, Judy, had a uniquely intimate relationship with her female best friend. And here's the interesting part. My mom, when she divorced my father, I think I was 10, and her best friend, who divorced her husband around the same time, and then they lived together for 52 years. So we lived in an apartment together first. We moved to a house together, and then they made the house into two apartments when I was a teenager. And then we met, we they bought a piece of property uh, one whole street over in the country and put two trailers there so one could live in one and one could live in the other. And they were right side by side. And when Vicky needed a place to live after leaving Karen. She stayed in the trailer with, with her friend. So that trailer was empty. And because I needed a place to stay, because I couldn't afford anything at that time, mom stayed over with her friend which I know isn't a problem. Until the day she died, Judy never admitted their relationship was anything more than friendship. But Vicky is confident that it was. It was kind of that taboo conversation that you never had. And occasionally she would make me mad enough to say something. But, you know, after so many years of that, and again, they were together, they lived together for literally 49 years and 11 months. Uh, never dated either one of them and did everything together. And, and 49 years and 11 months later, you know, if I mentioned it, she got so upset. It's like, you know, I just quit. I quit trying. I'll probably get a ghost visit tonight because of this conversation. Judy and her friends' denial probably stemmed from their religious beliefs. They, they couldn't get out of their head that that false narrative that Christians have put out there about homosexuality, and it is false. Um, she couldn't get past it. And she was afraid. She was afraid of going to hell. She was afraid because her mother did that to her, and she tried to do it to me. In 2000, shortly after Vicky and Karen split up, Vicky met her wife, Jeanette. And in the years since, Vicky's mom fluctuated between deep disapproval and support of Vicky and Jeanette. She came to the wedding. Uh, she didn't stay very long, but she was there. Um, 
So it's, it's like she was always torn on whether to accept or not. One day she'd be lecturing Vicky about being more private, about her relationship. Why you got to advertise this? You know, why can't you come to church with me? You don't have to say y'all are a couple. And the next day she'd be cracking lesbian jokes as if she was in on it. And she'd call one day, you know, what are y'all doing, having sex? <laughs> you know, and say jokes like that. And every year, Vicky's mom would send her and Jeanette an anniversary card. She never forgot her anniversary. As much as she hated what I was, in the end, I think, I think because she sent those, I always thought that she wished she could have been that open with it. So she kind of lived it through me. And that makes me feel better. Judy passed away last year. She lived with her friend until the day she died. But like I said, they never came out of the closet. It's really sad to me that she, she left this world and never got to acknowledge or, you know, say who she was. It's just, it's just sad. It really is. My purpose in life is to not die like that. Not die denying who I am, not die, you know, loving who I'm with. Today, Vicki has finally been able to move forward from the chaos of her divorce, coming out, and losing her kids. But it all took about 10 years to resolve itself. It took me a long time to get here and a lot of heartache to get here, but it, it was, it's all worth it. There's a whole decade of my life that I wish I could just erase. But if I had to go back and do it all again, I would because of where I'm at now and where I'm at with my boys. Her older son was finally able to make the decision for himself that he wanted to live with his mom. He got old enough to understand everything. So he moved in with me and it took me a year and a half after he moved in with me to get Bedford to reverse the child support. So for a year and a half, I paid child support for a child that lived with me. And now Vicky has a great relationship with both of her kids. In the end, they know who I am. They both love me. I both love them. I have a grandson now. Um, it, it was some rough roads for the first, I don't know, 10 years I get of it, I guess, but it all turned out the way it was supposed to. You know, I love who I'm with. She's so supportive, even though I'm out of town a lot, like I'm sitting in a hotel right now talking to you. Um, there's nothing I do that, that she doesn't support. Vicki has a job teaching truck driving and sometimes travels for trainings and conferences. That's how she ended up back in the Richmond area a few months ago. And I was going to be there for three days. So I thought, well, let's, let's, let's head to Richmond and see if I can find babes again. Just, you know, to reminisce. Because it was literally my coming out party. That was, that was the day I realized, oh, there's other people like me. But walking in, it's like I didn't recognize anything. It, it was a little bit sad to me because it didn't look anything like I, what I remembered. And as you know, that's when Vicky met X. We went to some the, the room and toward the back with the big, the taller round tables. And we sat there and had a few beers and we talked about some stuff. And I gave, you know, I was letting them know, hey, I was here in, in the nine, early 90s and, and you know, the booze are gone. But um, I don't know, they bought me drinks. I bought them drinks. And, and we, I think we closed the place that night. They, they literally had to throw us out. We really hear all the time how impactful these bars are, how much they mean to people. 
but Vicky's relationship to babes is truly profound. She went there only once, three decades ago, and it completely altered the course of her life. That moment, that day I went to babes back in the 90s, was the day I realized that I need to be who I am, you know, and screw what everybody else says. And that's the day I begin my journey to be where I'm at right now, which is so grateful and so blessed and so happy. And I never dreamed that, that, that I'd have that because everything was so f***ed up in the early days. It was the journey that made me realize I'm a normal person. It was the day I realized that I'm not alone and it made me who I am. It was the first step in who I am. But babes was the beginning of it. And that's why I had to go back. Cruising is reported and produced by Rachel Carp, Jen McGinnity, and me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman. If you like cruising, want to support us, and get access to more content, then join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. You can also visit our website, cruisingpod.com, or follow us on social media at cruisingpod. Special thanks to Vicky, X, Kristen, and Sarah. And thank you to Honda for sponsoring this week's episode of Cruising. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. 